0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Most importantly children of all ages I want to welcome you one and all to the first podcast of you don't know dick I'm handsome dick Manitoba some people call me the world's greatest entertainer which people call you the world's greatest entertainer just Take my word for it. Some people call me the world's greatest entertainer. Handsomest man in rock and roll. Lead singer of the Dictators for 45 years. 14 years in Little Stevens Underground Garage on Sirius XM Radio. Owner of Manitoba's Barn Avenue B. And world traveler with a, with a bunch of different bands. DKT, MC5. So that's what I've done in my life. And that's what I've done to earn a spot here and in podcast world. I have some amazing guests on my first show. Bob Gruen, world famous photographer, rock and roll a specialty. We have his lovely wife sitting here, ready to chime in whenever she wants about, well, we're gonna get to her, because every time I try to describe the art Elizabeth Gruen does, I sound like a babbling idiot. I, it's I don't know how to describe it so I at least have to let you describe it and I'm sure you're comfortable with at least describing your art it's one of a kind I've never seen anything like it it's amazing you're gonna look it up and you're gonna get out your friggin checkbook I promise you on my left is what can I tell you I got a soft spot in my heart for broads who love baseball <laughs> <laughs> I got a broad over here named bullpen betty and her and i it's like wake up in the morning i got a, a something from bullpen betty that happened with the yankees and then we start going back and forth i didn't tell you before i came here what some guy motherfucked me to death online i mean all i did was give my opinion about what did you say <laughs> about about how i hate john carlos then this guy mother me to death. he was like Listen, you asshole, go back to your mommy's basement. And you know, he woke up my Bronx shit. He woke up (laughs) my Bronx shit. All of a sudden, I'm like, what? The the abortion didn't take? You're among us? And I just went for it. I said, listen, I went down on your mother the other day and she really stunk. You got to tell her to do something about it. I mean, the thing is, if you go for the jugular out of nowhere, I didn't put the guy down, I didn't say nothing bad about his mother. I just said I think this guy stinks. But you put down a Yankee. No, no, no. He gave me stats of why I'm wrong, oh. and then I gave him, you know, fuck your stats. Watch him every day. He sucks. He hit 250 <laughs> when he came to a city with pressure on him, and he hit 300 when he came when there was 40 people in the audience.
2: You th- but you think there's no hope? Also,
1: no. I think you could win four World Series with Bernie Williams hitting 24 home runs. All right, so what's this show going to be about? Like, Steinfeld said, it's a show about nothing. Am I going to narrow it down to you? It's a show about dating. It's a show about sex. It's about, I can't. I can't. I'm 64 years old. I grew up in the Bronx. I lived in Lower Manhattan and Lower East Side for, for decades and decades and decades. So I have thousands of stories to tell, world traveler. I love baseball. I love girls. I love sex. I love rock and roll. I love food. I love the UFC, and I want to talk about any of this shit. And that's just the general subject matter. I got millions of stories. Millions of stories. I'm telling you. But we're going to start today with my friend Bob Gruen. Hiya, Bobby. To be here. Hi. Always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Just read off. A couple of things, because if I read off everything Bob Gruen did, I'd probably (laughs) be (laughs) be getting ready for bed right about now. Bob Gruen is one of the most well-known and respected photographers in rock and roll. From John Lennon to Johnny Rotten, Muddy Waters to the Rolling Stones, Elvis to Madonna, Bob Dylan to Bob Marley, Tina Turner to Debbie Harry he has captured the music scene for over 40 years in photographs that have gained worldwide recognition shortly after John Lennon moved to New York in 71 Bob became John and Yoko's personal photographer if that shit ain't enough to impress you (laughs) then you're a fucking asshole he became their friend taking photos of their
3: working life did you take the the naked photo Uh, no they took that themselves before the, they came the, to Newark. the sleeping. Well, uh, one of you know, those like the album cover. They had cameras in those days where you could put out like uh, ten on yeah, If you look at it closely, John's holding a little squeeze ball uh, shutter release. In the seventies. Uh, they had they Ethan had Russell set the camera up uh, Who them. did? There's a photographer in England, Ethan Russell. And they had him set the camera up on a tripod and then they made everybody leave the room. I actually, actually asked Yoko about that picture and i said you were planning that for a publicity for a album cover you know to be naked in front of the world and she said yes and i said but you made everybody who was there go out of the room so you could be alone she said well we're very private you know <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, there are and she, levels she was of privacy. That the, the idea of being in the room was a level of privacy, but the idea of putting out the photo was artwork and was a statement. it was not like somebody standing in front of them when they were naked. I don't disagree with that. So, her. Uh, so and that's when she told me that John actually took that picture of himself. Uh, if you look at the position of his hand, you can see there's a little squeeze. I'm going to check it away. out next time. Interesting.
1: Um, th- this is this is quite this is quite impressive. I must say. The John Lennon New York City t-shirt has to be at least in the top 10 most well-known rock and roll, most popular, iconic. most icon- iconic. It's, it's been around the world. Did you go times. to college, Betty? <laughs> what college? I did. I went to the University Where'd... of Michigan. Get out of here. You went to the Bronx community. <laughs> <laughs> went to University of Michigan. Did you?
2: Fab Five,
1: It's yeah. like 100. You were there when the Fab yeah, Five? Yeah, I four? was. Same time. It's a basketball, all-time basketball mm. team. Um, we got to explain things to the rock and rollers. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we got to explain sports to the rock and rollers. Um, so anyway, John took that iconic picture. Actually, it says iconic here. I didn't even have to wait for you. Um, he also took uh, Led Zeppelin, I know, is one of the most we iconic. You Standing up. in front of the, of the private, private, private jet. Picture. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a cool
3: photo. Seven, As chief
1: photographer for Rock Scene Magazine. Whatever happened to Lisa Robinson? Oh,
3: she's, around. she's the music editor for Vanity Fair whoa yeah, I, I loved Lisa I used to yeah. sit at a
1: table uh-huh. at the uh, limelight on Sunday Night Metal right. Uh, church Right and right. she used to always invite me over to her table so it was yeah. like really cool because all the rock stars sat at the
3: table oh, she knew everybody Yeah, she was had access great. to everybody she rock scene really. was great like dolls yeah. it's, it's, well rock scene was kind of a fanzine um, it's sort of a better quality but uh, we didn't get very much advertising because we didn't Write about the big groups. We wrote about any groups we felt like. So, a lot of the groups we wrote about in Roxy Magazine were unsigned. So, there was nobody to buy an advertisement for an album that didn't exist. Because, uh, like Rolling Stone and the other magazines, would only publish stories about ma- bands that had a record because they felt if they were publishing a story, you should be able to get the record. We felt that if we found out about somebody, you can find out about somebody so even though if you're in nebraska and we happen to be able to go to cbgb's uh, well a lot of people left nebraska to come to new york because mm-hmm. we made it look like fun because um, we published all a lot of unknown groups a lot of um you know we were the first ones to have the english punks in the american magazine
1: well to me i know you're a big new york dolls fan and mm-hmm. a big fan of most of the of all the bands that you Pretty photographed the in york there bands, yeah. and uh you can only call that a labor of love
3: It was, because there was no money in it. I mean, Roxanne, we didn't get paid. It was was like a fanzine. It was just for fun. Um, Lisa was working for the... She was the columnist for the New York Post, which was syndicated to... I remember that. Like 175 other newspapers around America, plus the NME in England, which was the biggest music Mm -hmm. magazine there. So she was a very powerful critic. But this Roxanne, with her husband Richard and Lenny Kaye, and Richard and Lenny used to write very funny captions, so Roxanne would come out... Almost with the feel of a 12-year-old girl's fandom doing her own diary, and the captions were hysterical because on one hand, they were very simple, like, as I say, like a teenage girl kind of thinking, but if you knew who they were talking about in the business, it was hysterically funny all the in-jokes that Lenny and Richard would slip in. In in Lenny. I, I don't know Richard well. I know Lenny is. is he he's he's on my. He's
1: on my short list here. Uh-huh. He's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, he, he's great. He's another one of those guys I might shut up for for a few <laughs> minutes. Because <laughs> Lenny's got stories. Of, Patty Smith. He's written a million books. Yeah. Um. He worked at Bleak of Bob's. I mean, he, yeah. he is just. He's
3: got a great history and a great uh, way of talking about it. And maybe most important, Nuggets. Yes. <laughs> yes. Inspired he, a lot of people with that record.
1: Let's see, Roxy Magazine is in the 70s, specialized in candid behind-the-scenes photo feature, p- pictures. We just went through this. Okay. And we're going to stop after this. I'm just going to mention a bunch of books out because uh, uh, I've read four of them in my life, four oh. books. Oh, really? So I figured if four I books can, total? Four total. So <laughs> if I figure if I can help, and they're all about the mafia. And so if I figure, <laughs> and one about Sandy Koufax. And I figure if I can help somebody else sell books, Maybe I get kind of credit for being a book reader because, uh, sort I'm, of. because I'm, being, <laughs> I'm having a positive book yes. attitude. <laughs> the Sex Pistols, Chaos, 1990. The Rolling Stones, Crossfire Hurricane. The Clash, 2004. John Lennon, The New York Years. Rockers, The Exhibit. The New York Dolls, photog- Photographs by Bob Gruen. And Rock Scene, S-E-E-N, by Bob Gruen. Um,
3: There's let me also take a book I did on Yoko Ono called uh, See Here... Uh, it's not listed here. It's <clears throat> C.S. And uh, the one I'm working on now that'll be out next year is a book on Green Day. Interesting.
1: A, a, a book, jo- what's interesting
2: about that? <laughs> that you, uh, Green Day, why did you decide to do that? I've been photographing for
3: 25 years. I'm oh. a big fan of Green Day. I'm probably their oldest fan. <laughs> Most people I, met, I meet in their 30s or 40s, if you mention Green Day, they say, oh yeah, I used to like them when right. I was in high school. And at the concert, uh, I remember um, in the stadium, and it, this old guy, like 60, uh, you know, it was the head of security, an old white haired man. And he said, Oh, man, I'm so old. I don't know what I'm doing at this concert. I said, How old are you? He said, 65. I said, I got you beat, pal, by years. <laughs> so, know? so what? In- great? <laughs> you know? what,
2: in- what interested you about Green Day, of all you know, well, I, I really of- like their
3: attitude. I like their music. I think it's very rock and roll, it's very simple rock and roll that right. I, I, I appreciate. And their attitude is very rock and roll in the sense that they question authority, they speak to uh, power. Uh, They, for instance, when their record I think it was American Idiot came out and had some curse words on it because they don't hold back. They speak the way their audience speaks. Right. And uh, therefore, Walmart would not carry the record because it had uh, what they call the F word. Right. And um, Walmart sells half of the records in the United States, which you can say. So most. most bands have a G rated Walmart or Walmart, w- Walmart v- version mm-hmm. and the an explicit version for their fans right uh, Green Day would not make a G rated album they said this is the album we made this is the album our fans want and if you think it's dangerous you could sell it in the gun department with your other g- dangerous <laughs> things Good point. So Walmart, you know, and, guns and, knives and and automatic you know weapons and yet they can't sell a record that has a curse word so, so exactly they that's speak about I mean. that so how
2: know? did they um uh, when they were on Broadway did they have to uh, tone it down at all do you no.
3: no. No, no, Broadway. People get naked on Broadway. Yeah, I just you know, didn't know. Say, I didn't, didn't, didn't know were. who their audience was on uh, um, I didn't see on Broadway, the, the audience was people who could spend $300 a night. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, So it wasn't just teenagers. Right.
1: Speaking uh, of naked, mm-hmm. when I was 15, I came down from the Bronx, and we saw The Living Theater. Yeah. all got naked. Instance, I that's what that? I was Who's okay. the head of The Living Theater?
3: Uh, um... I can't think of his name, oh, but I'm going blank.
1: My friends brought me down, and I was like aghast that all these like
3: people naked on stage. <laughs> like, well, hair had naked
1: people. I was just gonna say hair. Yeah, my I parents, but one. let me my ask dad you Dad took
3: me to see that, and that was a big shock. Like, oh my god, naked people, you <laughs> know.
1: How come they couldn't buy the Green Day album on itunes
3: uh, as as was? Uh, well, I mean, I'm not sure all their business they sell it wherever they can, but I just remember that that Walmart controversy. But it's not just that that uh, for <clears> instance <throat> the, a week after Donald Trump was elected uh, was the American Music Awards, which is a live music uh, TV show, and Green Day was on. and in the middle of this song that they were promoting, they stopped to start a chant of no Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA, and had the whole audience chanting along with them. great. Right. You know that they'll take t- time to do things like that and they'll make their statement and to me that's what rock and roll is about it's about actually for me rock and roll is about freedom it's about the freedom to express your feelings very loudly in public <laughs> and um when you know there are times like now that you have to speak out uh, i mean there's always things you have to speak out about and i've always been attracted my very first concert was pete Seeger. Wow. In my high school, when I was 13, it was the wow. first time I was in a auditorium with a, somebody singing, and he was fantastic, and he got the people to sing along in three part harmony. When the whole audience chimes in and sings along, and he was singing about um, tiki tacky about the little houses, you know, um, uh, all the houses looking alike, and about how people are, are you know, moving away from like individualism. suburbia, and uh, you know, and suburbia was just so. Uh, Packaged and identical, Mm -hmm. and and he was Uh, like a Ray Davies song. (laughs) Yeah, he was talking about personal freedom, and he was talking about freedom for workers and equal pay for workers, and just kind of freedom for all and and equality for all. And a few days later, in the newspaper, he was viciously attacked in our local newspaper because the school system allowed a communist to play. a (laughs) a commie bastard! Everybody knows that. He was a commie (laughs) bastard, and and I was kind of shocked. I was 13. I was very impressionable, and I thought, well, if that's communism, then we should be for (laughs) it because (laughs) it was the most positive. You know, message of humanity and caring and love that I had ever heard. I mean, I started, you can you know, take I it back to him. <laughs> but But, you know, to me, he was a very positive thing. And then they say he's a communist. I thought, I didn't hear anything bad in that concert. And then after that, I got into Bob Dylan and then things like Buffalo Springfield and those bands that came up in the 60s that were the protest folk rock bands. I like bands that are saying something.
1: But you can you know, even t- you even take it back to Woody Guthrie. I mean, that's who, they, that's who he listened I to. <laughs> I, you know? I
3: mean, one of the, the best songs, This Land is Your Land. Actually, one of my experiences at, at the opening of the Rock and Hall of Fame, they had the original lyrics for This Land is Your Land. And first of all, it was written in a hotel on 44th and 6th Avenue. Which Whoa. I really dug that he wrote that I in New York. I love that. I <laughs> love that. New <laughs> so what? It's um, in his yeah. head. But, you know... Um, and he, cro- he changed the words, and you can see, because in the original it said, God made this land for me. And he crossed that out and said, God made, this, uh, that this land was made for you and me. And he took God out, and he put you in. So it's you and me. And it just totally opened up the whole song and changed the entire meaning. Yeah, yeah, and, you know it's, it's really fun. The birds cover it.
1: one of his songs, and it, and it's it's one of my favorites. It's Pretty, Pretty boy Floyd. Oh yeah, and it's about you'll. <laughs> ne- There's two <laughs> lines that I love in it. You'll never see an outlaw <laughs> take a family from his home. And one of my absolute yeah. favorite lines ever written: Some rob you with a six gun, right. some with a fountain pen. Right.
3: That's what he got. through. And
1: right. you look at America now. You know, uh, people are getting robbed and robbed and robbed and robbed. But there are guys with pens, you know with offshore yeah, oil billions that are hiding, wallet. you know No taxes and
2: and they don't go to jail
1: Yeah, and they those are guys robbing you that way But everybody see everybody gets mad at who you could see I used to work in an emergency room in the hospital in the Bronx hmm. Right, and I'm sitting and I'm going, how'd you get here? And, you know bus train? And I, I, I signed that I, I asked them five questions. I signed it and they wait they wait, they wait, they're sick, they're angry, they wait, they're sick, they're angry. <laughs> they're looking at me, they're angry, they're looking at me, they're angry. <laughs> Who gets The fucking guy behind is wearing clogs, the doctor talking to the nurses, playing with the nurses, mm. and I'm getting, you're pissed off at me. And at <laughs> a human level, it's understandable because I, you see me, you don't see right. the doctor. You're not getting at the mad, mad at the guy who's going to fix you. So uh, along those lines... Where was I? I'm fucking... I'll be 65 in a few years. Where the fuck was I? What point was I making? Uh,
2: you, you worked in a hospital, and you were a very caring... <laughs>
1: no, it's, it was downstairs. about being seen. It's about that you get mad at. Mm. What subject... <laughs> right. You're,
2: ta- you're basically talking about white collar versus blue collar. Exactly. Thank right. you, thank
1: you, thank you, thank you. Right, so I so I need a chick with me to bring me back. Okay. my brain, you know? So... You know, it's if you—it's who you see. That's who you get pissed off at, and you're not going to get pissed off at where were we?
2: Right, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Do you want me what to what explain what you're yeah, saying? Sorry, what so, saying. like, if you get robbed at gunpoint, you can you see the guy who's robbing you? If you get robbed by a bank, you don't know what the guy
1: at the on the desk with the pen and the if tie is like. If there's a guy, right, hiding, what you're saying? Ten billion dollars, <laughs> yeah, and there are taxes that should go in there. Your health insurance might be lower, right? And a lot of things might be lower, mm, right. like you know, if there were, if if the if the I'm not anti-Catholic, but if the church paid <laughs> the church paid, for if the church paid a, a minimal <laughs> amount of taxes, taxes, property taxes, every friggin body's taxes on mm-hmm. every level for everything would go dramatically down, you know.
3: God doesn't. How pay about taxes. the Jews?
1: Did they pay taxes?
3: Not for the temples, bastards. <laughs> <laughs> God doesn't pay taxes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you mean g-d <laughs> so uh i wanted to talk to you about a to treat things over here oh you were the guy that was picked to be on, the only photographer on the bus on the only american tour by the sex business oh group. by accident what do you mean by accident, accident. At Tell the me moment,
3: they didn't pick a photographer there was no discussion you, <laughs> you, were, you just were just standing, standing there or how did i it was happen? just standing there i was saying <laughs> goodbye uh, they were supposed to come to new york uh, I, I had seen the Sex Pistols. I went to England, actually. People think I went to see the punk rockers in England. I actually went to Paris to see my son, and while I was in Europe, I thought I would check in some magazines in Germany and England that I had worked with, and when I got to England, the only person I knew was Malcolm McLaren, and he <laughs> took me to a club that um, where the, I met the Sex Pistols, the Clash, Susie and the Banshees. There was this little club that all the kids were hanging out in. So that's how I got involved, and I had taken some pictures of the Sex Pistols then, and I came back a year later and had pictures when Sid was in the band, and a couple of months later they were coming to America, and I figured they are going to be in New York for a couple of days, they are playing Saturday Night Live, I would get some pictures, I had no plan of going anywhere outside of New York, because I didn't need to, um, and then... It was some kind of visa problem for Sid. I, I don't know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine. <laughs> it's that like that a was. Shane McGowan but kind it took of a, situation. Yeah, something kind of. Anyway, Pick it took him up, it, it, They somehow cleared it up. He came a week later. But during that week, they had to cancel the Saturday Night Live. And Malcolm recommended that Elvis Costello take their spot. That mm-hmm. was what made Elvis Costello. Oh, he, he did that song that he stopped in the middle they of that? stopped in the middle of the, But radio, that broke radio? him in America. And if yeah. you see, if you go to YouTube and you look at the Saturday Night Live clip, mm-hmm. the drummer is wearing a T-shirt that says, thanks, Malcolm. Huh. Wow! because Malcolm got him on the show. Wow. So instead, their first show in America was in Atlanta. So I got a f- I, I wanted to have the continuity of having seen him in England and so on, and have some pictures in America. So I flew to Atlanta, I took pictures at their first show in some, some Chinese restaurant in a, <laughs> in a strip mall. So Malcolm, Malcolm's whole idea was not to play, Real, not to come to New York and play for the critics. He played San Antonio. But to play for people that would cause chaos and make the press actually work to get there. Not He didn't even give press free passes. They had to or pay. They had to pay they had to, <laughs> he had a party in England early on where he wouldn't let them in, and they some people snuck in through the windows. It was like a, um, that was Malcolm's theories, you know, to work around outside the press to do things you know, differently. So they're in this place in Atlanta, and I went down and I saw the show, and after the show, I was had a motel, and I was going to go back to New York in the morning, and I was standing at the bus, they were about to leave, and I'm saying, so long, Malcolm, I'm sure you're gonna have a good time. You know, it's gonna be a great trip, you know, too bad I can't come along, but you know, I'm sure you're gonna have fun. And he said, yeah, you can't come, Bob, because you know, we're only allowed 12 on the bus, and well, there's Sophie and the band and the garage, and well, that's only 11, Bob, why don't you get on? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And the guy next to me said, I'll come, Malcolm, this other photographer. And Malcolm said, sorry, Bob asked first. And I was like, when did I ask? What are you talking about, you know? And so I got on the bus. Okay, and so I woke you, up ten days later in San Francisco. Oh, that was like and about I made 10 one cities? of my favorite phone calls. I picked up the phone and I said, "What time is the next flight back to New York?"
1: Ten cities in the bus. Ten cities in like, like San Antonio. Days. Sa- it finished in San Francisco.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was yeah, it we mayhem San Antonio, every Rio, night? Oklahoma Amazing. City, uh, Dallas, New. What was it? Uh, not New Orleans. Um, Baton Rouge. Uh, I don't even know it was ten. I think it was like a Twelve days or something. What,
1: was it mayhem? Like insanity? It was
3: mayhem. It was very calm on the bus. Uh, Sid actually liked a song by Dr. Elementardo called uh, Reason Reason for Living, and uh, basically it's a a leave me alone kind of song, like if you don't believe in living, don't determine my life, and he would play that dub version over and over and over for hours, it was actually a really good song, it was very mellow. And we'd be driving along, looking at the desert or whatever's going by, mountains, you know, America's going by, Um, and then the door would open, whatever club, and they'd be pressed there. I remember once there was like two TV cameras when they opened the door. And Steve cleared his throat and spit on the ground, ready to talk to them, and they went, look out, he's spitting at us! And the cameras ran away, and they had their story, and they had a sex pistol spitting, and they were done. You know, <laughs> and, and I mean, one night in in the show, uh, something happened, somebody threw something at Sid, and he kinda swung his bass at the kid, and it went by so fast, I didn't. I practically didn't notice. I actually do have a picture of him swinging his bass. Because after, I I didn't really realize it. After the show, Malcolm came running up. He said, did you see Sid smash the guy with his bass? Do you have a picture of that? And I'm like, I don't think so. He goes, oh, that could have been the NME cover tomorrow. And I'm like, really? Something like that. And then back in the motel, somebody called me up, and they said that on WPIX, you know, our local New York channel, not a national channel, Channel a local TV channel in New York, and I'm sitting in Dallas, and somebody tells me, like, oh, I saw on TV tonight that Sid Vicious hit somebody with a guitar. I'm like, that was on the news. That's news. I moved this crappy band in the middle of nowhere and that's news. <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe it. Malcolm McLaren. In the was middle the of the in the middle of it, PR I had no master. idea how big the story was around the world. Mm. And then when we got to San Francisco You're in the eye of the and then storm. there was kind of chaos that night. I remember one of the other photographers who was coming along, um, said like Oh because he had money from um, NME was paying his airfare to follow the band. And so Malcolm had decided it, very cleverly, he wrote the contract with Warner Brothers that they would fly them to America and fly them home by whatever route they chose. So he chose to go home through Rio. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why go straight to London when you can go to Rio and on the way so the, 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 are you are coming to Rio? I'm like, no, I'm not coming to Rio. nobody's paying my way. I'm going back to New York and uh, I went home I just spent three days in the dark room. there was a blizzard going on outside. I spent three days because all the magazines were so interested in this band I made hundreds of pictures. I walked across on the third night. I took a break. I went to CBGB's all the way across town. And I walked in and Johnny Rotten was sitting at the bar with this other guy. And he had a t-shirt. We We'd all gotten t-shirts from Warner Brothers. He said, I survived the Sex Pistols tour. And he said, you hear the news, mate? And he opens his shirt and he had the t-shirt. And it said underneath he had written, but the band didn't. And I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, we broke up, mate. I'm like, you broke up? You're the biggest band in the world. Everybody's talking about you this week. <laughs> you know?" And he said, no, nope, we broke up. And all of those pictures went into a bottom drawer. I didn't open that drawer for six years. Nobody cared about the Sex Pistols. Then Gary Oldham made a movie, Sid and Nancy. Right. Great movie. Gary Oldham <clears throat> is the most charismatic, crazy person in Hollywood. Is he? And I love And nobody him. knows what Sid Vicious is really like because there's about two videos of him actually being Sid where he's just drooling and stoned out on dope and he doesn't, barely doesn't say anything. Gary Oldham gave him a personality, a very interesting, charismatic personality. And most people, when you think of Sid Vicious, you're thinking of Gary, Gary. Oldham. Well there, most people never saw Sid Vicious. But okay. they've all seen Gary Oldham. And all of a sudden that file drawer got opened and everybody got interested in the sex pistols. And they've been V the punk band ever since. But if you only love Gary well,
1: If you love Gary Oldman, check out as one of the books I read by a a uh, friend of mine. I read about three of his books. Actually, his name is T.J. English, and he wrote The Westies, wow. and they made a movie called State of Grace, and he played this absolute like you know Irish like Westy mm-hmm. guy, like but like like out of control, like oh, you he, know like he's the best out of control okay. he, was, he was he was like like movie a movie assassin, right? He was like a the loose professional professional. Yeah. yeah, where he's wow. like the drug addicted <laughs> cop, drug addicted oh, cop, out of his so head, yeah. Lunatic, great in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jesus. The, you know, the
2: line, know, uh, every, when he says everyone in that movie, that's like the best line in a movie from the 90s, from the professional.
3: Well, I actually met Gary Oldham at Sunset Marquis a couple of years ago in, in Hollywood. And I was really excited, and I told him my theory, and uh, he said he had never thought about it that way. And then I actually met his wife at, a, at an opening a couple of days later. He came with his wife. Which one? He had about six. I don't know, the one that was, he had <laughs> two years joke. ago. <laughs> three years ago. Um, and she said that I was right, too, that... Um, you know, they never really thought about that, but right. that that was so clever. Was okay, so two things
1: I want to get out quickly—not mm. quickly,
3: but one—one one quickly before you forget. Friggin- I've mm. seen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> told you I have you here. So. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: one was, I've seen some of those um, MTV behind—not the MTV, the other channel that's with MTV. VH1. V, behind yeah. the scenes. Right and some of my least favorite bands, like the hair metal bands, like mm. I would never listen to one of their songs. Mm. I have no interest in what happened in their life. I'd be mesmerized because a story is a story is mm-hmm. a story. Mm. Now, I've heard you say everything like, like with adjectives and, and uh, philosophies about Green Day.
3: Mm.
1: I didn't hear uh, what's a great story in that. Is, is it a great story? Are the people a great story?
3: Uh, well, I, I can't show you this on the radio, but um, <laughs> they have a very good sense of humor, and hanging out with them is just fun, uh, and I think that it carries over on stage, That the, in their stage show. Uh, anybody I know who's seen their live show loved it. Uh, one woman I know, I got her some tickets I didn't expect her to spend to be there for more than two or three songs, just she was going to check it out to see what I was into, stayed through the encores. Um, they're I was going to show them that picture that they did Uh, they have a great sense of humor Uh, that's another reason I mean uh, they're uh, you know professionals they're
2: successful they're obviously talented guys but I think a lot of people thought they were like the sellout version of punk or whatever, right? That's
3: well, I was, actually, Billy that came up one night when we were uh, at, a, at a hotel late at night, and there was a book about San Francisco, the whole, uh, like, Please Kill Me, but the San Francisco mm-hmm. version, mm-hmm. and they were kind of putting Green Day down for that reason, saying like they sold out, they became super successful, a punk band playing stadiums, that shit. and... Uh, and Billy was saying, "Well, is it my fault that I'm really good at what I do? Right. Is it my fault that sixty thousand wanna people, you know, people wanna buy a ticket instead of just six? Right. You know, it, it's Mick not Jones his fault. About that? Huh? What? what Mick Jones Yeah, Mick different. Jones. When they asked the uh, at a press conference, they said, that, you know, people were saying the Clash was selling out because there was, you know, playing such big theaters. And Mick Jones, well, here how we, he, he said, here's how it works: uh, you plan a concert and you print up a, a certain number of tickets, <laughs> and when all those tickets are sold, well, then you're sold out, and that's how it works." <laughs> You know, I, I, hate, awesome I hate people talking
1: about selling out because yeah. what that is is me telling you what you did with your career is not right for me yeah, that yeah. you're it's making not, money not is you. not right for me I, I you things, are supposed to be what I think you are supposed no, to No, one be. of the
3: first things I saw about that I went it was a CMJ in like 1980s, mid 80s or something and uh, I think 86 around there, and uh, you know, the, uh, the College Music Awards, and they were giving an award to, to Lou Reed, and Lou Reed had just, um, was in the middle of a controversy because people were attacking him for selling out because Honda had used his song, Walk on the Wild Side, for an advertisement. It was one of the first rock and roll songs in a car, or you know, transportation, advertising, and they were calling him a sellout. And Lou said, because it's true, he got very little airplay back then, so he was on a few jukeboxes, like Max's Kansas City, or he was in some college dorm rooms. Right. He said, I am being played to millions of people every day, and I got $100,000 for that, and nobody's buying my records, nobody's playing my records, and this company is putting my music all over the world. Do you have a problem with that?
2: Was it um, Honda Scooters? It yeah. yeah. So, so if you remember, I remember I was a kid, my favorite, and maybe yeah. you know him, do you remember Adam Ann and Grace Jones did a Honda Scooter commercial together oh, no. too? Oh, I didn't it's that, awesome yeah. and oh, really? he's my favorite. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I know, say, but I
3: remember Lou Reed answering that. Yeah, it was at the same time. Know, like, um, the, it the fact it was, was a way to get his music out way to the people. get his music out and to get paid. Yes. As listen, we, we all have, have another
1: way. Right. Think about oh. the uniqueness and the one-of-a-kindness of Lou Reed. Uh, like, like a mm-hmm. true artist, whether you like him mm or not. Lou Reed's fingerprint is left on the earth. Mm -hmm. And the point is, you can't, I I, want to put it, I want to put it right. You can't tell somebody you sold out, all right? Let Lemmy came to me once and he goes like, hey, Dick, this guy told me I sold out once. I go, I'm 59 years old. Sold out to what? What am I going to become now? (laughs) <laughs> i'm lemmy at 59 so i'm going to become this different thing that isn't lemmy at 60 <laughs> yeah. and i was like you're right i'm sort of stuck being handsome dick manitoba <laughs> and wh- what's lou reed gonna come lou to say i think i'll completely reinvent
3: myself yeah he's gonna be you a know? jingle writer like what what <laughs> if
1: the fuck it's like you say bob it's like you know people talking about other people and what they should do and it's just it's it's ridiculous you know I didn't get my solo album out yet. It will come out. It will. It's a good record. And I, I, I paraphrased a quote from David Bowie at the end of my liner notes. My liner notes are really funny. Like a, I like I acted like a guy was interviewing me. I go, Handsome Dick, when did you first want to be a singer? I never wanted to be a singer. Handsome Dick, when did you want to be on radio? I never wanted to be on radio. So it was like basically yeah. I just stepped in one pile of shit after another
3: and And well, that's uh, how life is but at the you, end, you, you wake up every day you have no idea what's going to go ha- happen but, I, but I can you make the best of each situation and then but you get uh, we'll talk
1: about your start with photography, but i I didn't have a start with anything I just you know
3: plopped forward <laughs> well, that, photography was my hobby. I had no career plan
1: okay, but the thing is with <laughs> with, with uh did you with, go to school for it No All
3: right. I wanted to, but I had terrible grades and uh, and there was no uh, i, I didn 't know that you could go to a school with a portfolio, uh, so i didn 't even apply but Bowie um, what Bowie said was at the end of the thing was make art photography mm.
1: art, make art, and while busy while people are busy considering whether it sucks or not. Make more art,
3: mm-hmm. right? And well, that's, that's what Andy Warhol exactly said. Don't listen to what anybody has to say about your art. Just make it.
1: Well, the thing I've always figured is to to, to be an artist. Now, I hate I hate the word because it's there's something pretentious about it, especially coming mm-hmm. from the world
3: of punk rock. But you get to sleep till noon. But. <laughs> <laughs> no ties. either. but to but to yeah, be yeah, an you artist,
1: have you have to have two things. Because you, I'm opening myself up. I'm bleeding for you. I'm like as they say in football. I'm leaving it all on the field. You know, I'm giving you everything I got, and if you put me down, that hurts. If you love me, that's you know warm and loving and wonderful. So you have to be really tough so that you can withstand being put down mm-hmm. after you've opened up your heart. And you have to be really vulnerable so that you can take everything in mm-hmm. and be a complete artist, a full human being. Otherwise, you can't be a complete artist. So here we go. this is this is my mm. personal date. This is the big one for me, okay. Um, a few years back, I told you that I was going up to 72nd Street by Dakota because I wanted my son Jake, who was much younger now he's 16, he was like mm. eight, to see to celebrate the uh, that John Lennon had been alive. It was his death day, mm. and there's hundreds of people in the park. all oh, we are singing mm. and it's just so beautiful and and I. Sh- I didn't want to say it to him. I showed him, black people, white people, Asian people, Spanish people, poor people, well-dressed mm-hmm. people, every type of person. And this was—he uh, was murdered in seventy-eighty. Eighty-eighty. Eight, was that December? Seventy-eight. No, eighty. Eighteen 80, 80, 80, yes, 80. So eighty. years ago. About thirty. Yeah. Thirty years ago. This is when I took Jake. And I just wanted him to see it and feel it and just absorb it. Whatever he got out of it as a ten-year-old kid, and I loved it. And then I stopped because I used to work in 1972, and I used to see David Johansson go by. Lucky's—he had a girlfriend over there and 72 mm-hmm. on Broadway. Me and a couple of guys in the dickhead's got a, a place working for a, a, a like an Iranian Jew who owned a, a, a candy store. That sold cigarettes on the corner, and. Um, we used to go for for um pastrami and corned beef on that what's that fucking place called on 72nd it's right. on 72nd between broadway and 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 central park the other dollar. So, uh, fine and shapiro okay. fine and shapiro so we used to go there for lunch in 70 72 that's when i'd see johansson before i was in a band i go mm. yo davy joe because i was a dolls fan mm. and um the last time I went with Jake and and his mother <laughs> and that lady his mother <laughs> the last time we went um, I talked to the owner and I said, you tell me anything about John and Yoko and Sean?" He goes, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit. I mean Yoko comes in and gets her food and takes it back to the apartment, never calls it in. She just stops by and brings it back. Uh, there's a basement studio where where Sean practices and he never comes out he calls it in and has it delivered now is that the most exciting thing a host <laughs> could possibly say no. no but when you're a beetle fan that's F3 huge factoid that, is that's important. huge <laughs> that's like it's like give me give me a microscopic detail right it's and something that people
2: don't know about. it's it's color well there's it's, actually it's,
3: around the corner on 71st street no in columbus was, no but around the corner there was a, a small oh, coffee shop Uh, that played classical music and John would go there for espressos. Pretty regularly, I went to. You told me there. some stories in a Volkswagen.
1: I, 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 oh, you, I had the Volkswagen. You had a Volkswagen Beetle, yeah. And you were running; girls were running after him out of a club. Did you? Oh, ju- not quite. Did you um. jump in in the car <laughs> and to get no, no, away? No. Uh,
3: they, he met some girls in, in a party, and uh, it was a party for the what? The, when uh, Sergeant Pepper play opened and closed uh, <laughs> on, at the Beacon <laughs> Theater, uh, but the party was fun. And at the party, John had met a couple of girls. This is when he and Yoko were still separated. When he he was back in the but still not back with Yoko there was an 18-month lost weekend in there Um, and he hadn't been drinking a lot but that night was a big celebration we were drinking he had met these girls at the party so coming out he asked me to bring the girls into my car so he got in the limo with May who you know he was living with uh, May Pang and and you know in front of the party he came out he got in the limo I left the party with the girls and got on my Volkswagen and drove to the corner. He came down the, to the corner in the limo. He jumped out of the limo into my car and we kicked <laughs> off. And, uh, you know, thinking how clever we were and like nobody would know, and uh, we drove... Uh, actually, one of the girls was Danielle Luna, who was one of the original superstar models uh, in the 70s. Uh, she used to always say chica boom, chica boom, she was famous <laughs> for that. Anyway, she, she was a crazy girl. Uh, we went to her apartment up on Center Park West and as we walked in the lobby, two of the English writers from the, from the party were waiting for us. <laughs> good night, Mr. Lennon, uh, have a good evening. And they were there when we came out two hours later to you know, figure out where John had been or whatever. And Danny Fields saw the girls uh, saw John jump from the limo into my car. Well, Danny, he, he, so Danny, the only paper that had it actually in New York, that Danny was writing I think for the Daily News or something like that. At that so point. he got the Danny, scoop. So he got the scoop. Danny's you know? closest.
1: If if correct me if I'm wrong, I do I know Danny pretty well. For those of you out there who are brain dead. Danny Field signed the Ramones and the Stooges in the MC5 as a matter of fact I said when you sign the Stooges and of course if he was here he would tell me I'm saying the, the story wrong because that's how <laughs> Danny is everything you say is wrong <laughs> well, but e- even if he said it, you know? he said because I, I was on the road for three weeks with the MC5 hmm. so I'm in a bus at late at night in my PJs and I'm going so what happened, Wayne? So then, what happened, Wayne? <laughs> right. And he, and Danny goes like, I was walking up the staircase, and I heard the Stooges, and I knew I wanted to sign them. Mm. I hadn't even seen them. Yeah. I was walking up the staircase, which, yeah. which is which is you know amazing. But Danny. From my recollection, was closest with with Linda Linda McCartney, right?
3: He was a good friend of Linda's,
1: yeah. Was he friends with He was friends with Jim Morrison. He told me he hit Jim Morrison. Well, he was friends with Jim he,
3: Morrison until he took away his car keys. He tar- car Jim keys, was yeah. Drunk and then uh, Jim hated him for taking right. the car keys for saving it. his life. Yeah, for saving his life.
2: Wow, that was so uh, advanced at the time, too, right? That's yeah. like before Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Didn't even take the
3: keys. He dropped them underneath the floor mat. Oh, like so he just couldn't find but the he, he just them. He didn't want him to he find them. He was too drunk. Yeah, right. He was too drunk to drive. He had to save his life. He was the a uh, Danny was the rep for the record company, supposedly taking care of Jim Morrison. Right. Jim was too drunk to drive, so he wouldn't let him, and then Jim hated him for that. But um, he knew but Danny everybody. was very influential in many ways uh, besides that. I mean, oh, I think he sold his he, His, his whole archive to Yale. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, huge. But he worked for, um, uh, what's her name, um, for 16 Magazine, and... Uh, Taking all the pictures. Oh, of the oh, oh, and I know who you mean. And the girls and
1: uh, uh, oh, oh, oh. 60, Gloria Stavers. Gloria
3: Stavers, yes. Uh, she was influential. Wow. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't have known the answer. I didn't need that the one. chick for that one. The old brain cells, like, flying back in. I had the Gloria part. I didn't remember the other part. But yeah, D- Danny uh, did a lot of that. Because I remember when I first met him, I think the first job we did together was, um, uh, uh, what's the part of his family? Um, Sean Susan Day, David Day. Cassidy, Reuben David Cassidy, yeah. David Cassidy uh, was playing at some race. He was a boy, you 72. know, boy hero. And the Bay City Rollers, Danny loved the Bay City Rollers. <laughs> of course, he did. <laughs> I did a lot of work with them. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: um, but Danny, and he, did, and he signed the Ramones. I mean, yeah, he, he I absolutely, absolutely brilliant, way. absolutely great taste in rock and roll, and um. So that was who, he was you were closest with John, right? Did you have other relationships with the with Beatles? with Yoko?
3: Um, no, I I met the other Beatles. Actually I have a funny story about that. <laughs> I don't know why the only two people in the world. Uh, Is this going to be a wo-
2: a world premiere story right here? <laughs> well, there, was a, there was a part
3: when George Harrison played Madison Square Garden in the mid seventies. Um, I was there and uh, Johnny Podell is the agent and the drummer was Jim Keltner and they're both very good friends of mine. So after the show, we all jumped in my Volkswagen or whatever car I had that week (laughs) and went up to the Plaza Hotel for the after party. And it was in some suite somewhere. So we walked into the place and I came in. uh, I stopped a few steps inside the door just to look around, there's a whole room full of people. And Jim and Johnny went towards the bar and George came in right behind us. And uh, he looked around the room and he said, "Who are all these people?" And he turned to me. He said, "Who are you?" I said, "I'm Bob Gruen." He said, "You're not Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's a friend of mine. Throw him out." And all of a sudden, I was th- <laughs> thrown into the hall, and I, and I was like, oh, "But, but, but!" I didn't say, you know. He misunderstood it. But but but, 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 I'm Bob said, you're Gruen. out. You're out. You know. And I oh, couldn't. There was no God. cell phones. I couldn't call jim right. or you know. You didn't have somebody. ID. And uh, well, it wasn't that it George was had said, "Get him out." I was out. You know. So that was forty years later. I'm in Iceland at one of Yoko's events, <laughs> and Ringo was there. And I said, I went up to introduce myself, I said, you know, friend of your channel, Yoko, and Bob Bob Gruen, he goes, you're not Bob Dylan. You don't look a bit like Bob Dylan. I said, I, I didn't say Bob Dylan. I said, well, you know, like, what is it with you Beatles? The only two people in my life have ever thought I said Bob Dylan is George and Ringo. I'll <laughs> we'll figure maybe something about a Liverpool uh, you know you, know, you know I, I, I hate <laughs> to tell you,
1: I hate to uh, beat my host my guest's story with a Beatles story but I was up at uh, Sirius Radio and uh, one of the heads of music came over to me and said would you like to meet a Beatle I said you're damn straight of course. <laughs> so he introduces me to to the drummer before Ringo
3: oh oh really a Beatle yes. that's not a Beatle that's a silver Beetle. <laughs> what was his name Hey, see how soon we forget? You I'm Best, not. Go Pete that. Best. Pete Best. Yeah. Oh, so I'm standing here for Pete
1: Best, and I go. So Pete, man, it's a real honor to meet you. I'm, you know, I'm a fan of anything, any Beatles he goes oh thank you man thank you and we stood there like one of those like uncomfortable like shaking right, heads. now, heads nothing more to say <laughs> meanwhile four feet to my left is the guy who he just passed away he owns the bunny ranch in Las Vegas oh, guy,
3: yeah. and he's got
1: four girls with tits out to here <laughs> out to here is about two feet I'm I'm yeah, sticking yeah, my yeah. hands out you know all fake disgusting boobs <laughs> but anyway they're, they're girls there, yeah. and he's not talking to me and the bunny ranch guy and I had met twice before. He goes, "Hey, man, Manitoba, how you doing?" So I sat down with them. Yeah, so I, I finally meet a Beatle, and I sit down with a bunch of fake boob girls. <laughs> you you had that a lot, lot more in common. The huh? here, here, here's the real thing. Like, I, I don't really have a specific question, but please talk to me as a Beatle, as that my favorite band ever, and John might be my favorite Beatle. Um, I, I hate when when hosts ask questions in this manner. Talk to me about that. Like, <laughs> but
3: I, I, Talk to me about John Lennon. Tell me about John Lennon, please. Well, he wasn't different in private than what you see in the films and in the interviews. Uh, he was very funny, uh, always cracking jokes. It was always fun to see him because he was so funny. And generally, uh, he, he had a perception like, he would speak to the absolute reality what was going on, and sometimes if somebody came and they would kind of jive, and he would call them jive, and he said some things. I can't remember actually specific things that he said because it was just like being with somebody, but um, he would say things sometimes that I would, would shock me, like, wow, he would really say that to somebody, even though it was absolutely true, but he would say it with a twist. He would make a pun at the end, and then it was always funny, and then it was always fine, okay, but he was speaking truth. And so I'd always laugh, and learn something. And the other thing was, especially with Yoko, uh, John and Yoko liked to eat well. Yoko was always concerned about having a proper diet. Uh, and so I usually tried to show up around lunch or dinner. <laughs> and it got to be almost a joke, like, oh, Bob's here, is it lunchtime? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you know, what, what, what was, um, there so ate, many stories, was, what
1: was your take on, on when Yoko entered John's world as far as the Beatles go?
3: Well, uh, I wasn't there, but I read all the papers. Without being John's friend. Honestly, for me, as a Beatles fan at the time, when I heard about it, I thought it was amazing. I thought that the things that they did together were funny and meaningful. I thought that sending an acorn to every leader of every country in the world so that the world could grow together. It was kind of silly, but it got in every newspaper in the world and it talked about peace. And it was the idea that the world could grow together as peace. The idea that they turned their honeymoon where... I mean, they started out planning a honeymoon where they could be private, like normal people. And the more they thought about where they could go to be private, the more they realized the English press would hound them. And the more private they were, the more valuable a picture of them in bed on their honeymoon would become. And then Yoko said, well, let's let them have that picture in bed and put the word peace behind it. And so that's what the, the bed in for peace was all about, because they knew on their honeymoon, every magazine in the world, every newspaper in the world would have their picture on the cover, and every picture would say peace. And I thought that was brilliant. And I didn't think she broke up the Beatles, but I didn't really care. I mean, bands come and go, you know, the Beatles were great. It was too bad we couldn't have more Beatles, but it seemed to be the end when they were up on the roof going in different directions and, you know, singing about Let It Be, it was kind of over, you know? It was sort of a benediction. I would
1: like to put this to the ladies, like...
3: Ladies? um,
1: To say she broke up the Beatles, Mm. like, is it the doesn't fact- give
3: John any credit. I mean, you know, I said right. this in an interview recently, <clears throat> and it became the headline of the interview. But, you know, they talk about Yoko. She was asking me if Yoko controlled John. And I said John was uncontrollable. He did what he wanted. Well, that was the headline, John's uncontrollable. But the <laughs> point being that uh, John wasn't led around by his wife. I mean, John did what he wanted to do. And if you read anything he ever said about Yoko, he absolutely admired and Loved her and one of the last things she said to me was always listen to Yoko. She's always right. And I found that to be true. She has the best advice. She has a really clear perception of what's going on. And everything I know from Yoko uh, has been that she's been trying to help people. All of her artwork talks about communication and peace. Uh, Behind the scenes, she donates lots of money, time, and effort to peace and to people who need help. So this is the uh, category
1: to me? To me? Mm -hmm. If there's one person in the room, there's one person in the room. The dynamic changes drastically when there are two people in the room. It mm. changes drastically again when there are three. If there are four guys that have spent
3: together. But it wasn't Yoko's. And, so, and she pushing, walked in. Yeah. She and didn't just walk the fact in. He brought there, her in. She didn't walk in. He brought her in. But the fact that she was she there. She was there because John wanted her there. It, it changed
1: the dynamic, and if that dynamic was negative to the rest of the band. Linda changed the dynamic
3: too. Other mm-hmm. people changed the dynamic. Yeah, so she said. She pretty wasn't the bad. only girl that was there. Uh, you know, she wasn't the only girlfriend that was there. By the way, you know um, the story. Later. She was Japanese, and she was not a beautiful model. So the English people, you know, attacked her because she was not, you know, a, a crazy Japanese artist. like it just didn't fit the rock star image. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I just want to say
3: so people this people don't understand her art. I mean, Most, you know, John said that she's the most unknown, uh, most famous unknown artist in the world. That everybody knows who she is, and nobody knows what she does. And forty years later, that's still true. So few people know what she does.
1: There's people, in my comings and goings, I find a lot of people just they don't like her or her
3: art. They don't know her. They they've heard about it from Howard Stern. So how could you like? her? Right, right. She didn't get. I don't know anybody who's met her who doesn't like her. Anybody who's met her right. thinks she's amazing. Well, we, to, could
2: go, we could go on about how yeah. women are uh, positioned in the world, but that would be a whole uh, mm. other show. Maybe that would be my podcast. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah, remind <laughs> me, I'll take a vacation <laughs> <laughs> So you you're gonna listen, You're gonna mention Elizabeth's artwork? I am going to. I just wanted to say one more thing. Even a, a women minute. artist.
3: <laughs> um, Yoko has bought a couple of Yoko, uh, Elizabeth's pieces, actually, and she has amazing good taste in art. Yoko? Yeah, oh yeah. I, we just were at her house recently. Actually, she's got some new ones she just bought. She has like large four by five foot Magritte. Uh, I, I just,
1: I wanted to get this out because it's, it's important <laughs> cause to me personally. Sports, but I, know, I don't, an amazing know what, surrealist. <laughs> I don't know what Magritte means. <laughs> I know. I just realized that. Uh, it I know. Means I know, one I know of the most amazing. I know. Derek story. Jeter. Well, you is know a picture of a street <laughs> of a house. Not yeah.
3: You've seen a picture of a house in a night scene, but the sky is blue with clouds. Yeah, that's Magritte. That's and called a Magritte, the that's a, f- a photographic. Is the oh, the, there's the artist. A, there's, a, there's a picture of a, a Oh, head he's an, artist. an apple. Oh. Magritte's a guy, Rene R- Magritte. So uh, it's a blue
1: uh, sky with a dark...
3: A- and it's night it's a nighttime scene but the sky is blue above uh, there's another picture with a guy but there's an a- with a bowler hat but there's an I apple instead of a face yeah uh, i know art magritte. listen oh, i know art okay so i you know, know art. you know my so favorite artist is magritte is I so famous th- even you know about him. hold on <laughs> now i know about
1: him. thanks for l- thanks for learning it. me i went to the museum i went to a museum and it was, a, it was a museum of this not the museum of city in of new york it was uh, the, the cooper a- MoMA. <laughs> what's um the Met, the Met. No, the, the one eight. on on like Fifth Avenue. The big that. one up the in the eighties. So no, The, no. the Small one. The Guggenheim. Mm-hmm. No, one. no. Right it, it's a small. great one. I saw I saw uh, a fucking Morgan Library? whole nice thing of photographer. Uh, my favorite photographer outside of you. who got? He used to be a, f- a fashion photographer, but at first he was like. He, What's his name? It might have been the Morgan Library. The most one of the greatest photographers. It was Avedon. Avedon. Yeah. I saw a Avedon exhibit that blew my mind. I was the only guy in the museum because mm. I'm such a big fan of the movie in Cold Blood that saw his like eight by ten picture of the real killer and his father from In Cold Blood. I looked at it, I said, I went like this. Nobody knows what this is. Nobody knows what this is. I was like pointing at it. But the but my favorite artist Mm. and i love this guy and and to me art is very simple and i make fun of myself as not being a cultured person but what the fuck is culture Mm. i'll tell you what culture is culture is heart and soul okay art is heart and soul it's it's you feel something if you're drawn to something to me that's good art so there's what and i'm just terrible with names bob Gruen, how you doing so um This guy, his name is Edward Hopper, Mm -hmm. my favorite artist by far. Everything he does is this like lonely landscape, just
3: lonely, empty, scary. But you can breathe the air in the painting, yes, it's so real. Yeah,
1: it's yeah, it's like almost Twilight
3: Zone esque. That's like
1: a a great
2: American artist. Now, before I get on
1: to the lovely elizabeth i want to just say something about my lovely son jake who just mm. turned 16. jake is a uh it skipped a generation rock and roll he's he's he just walks around rapping and he's <laughs> his favorite rapper his beatles of rappers is eminem and mm. eminem raps really fizzy. He goes like why do you like him because his words mean something mm-hmm. he says something is it the way he says it the feeling he's so hey he's got his reason and he's taking a bath he takes bath he doesn't like showers one day he's taking a mm-hmm. bath I hear him listening, he goes, Dad, you like this? He's listening to Frank Sinatra, I go, yeah. He goes, Dad, you like this? It's like James Brown. Yeah, he found it himself. Dad, you like mm. this? Uh, Otis Redding, yeah. yeah. Then he finds a song for me he knew I'd love. It's from a Bronx tale. It's called On the Streets of the Bronx. It's four-point harmony, acapella. You go home and listen to On the Streets of the Bronx, from a mm. Bronx tale. He found it and he loved it. See, this is what I love about my son. He likes what he likes, Go ahead, be you. Yeah. But then he finds this other stuff Yeah. and listen to what it's John to Lennon... John, this turned into a John Lennon story. Oh, It'll be quick. Okay. <laughs> he heard the lyrics to one of my favorite John Lennon songs. A song that... The only other song I can think of that makes me want to fucking punch my fist yeah. through the walls is, look what's happening out on the street. Got a revolution, got to revolution. And also, yeah. um... Um... N.W.A., fight right. the power like those yeah, kind yeah. of songs That's public enemy Yeah. public
2: enemy okay And right. nwa is uh fuck the police right no i don't say fucking, <laughs> too, too many cop friends <laughs> so um
1: but the, th- the song he listened yeah. to that got to him bob yeah. i fucking love this a working class hero right. is something to be he sat yeah. and listened to the lyrics and he goes yeah. he goes dad this is a great song
3: yeah
1: like you know and that just showed me
3: man a fucking guy. Greatness yeah. is greatness is greatness. Yeah. That's beyond. That, that's on to, another part To turn people onto music, does it here Listen to this song, and then you sit there and you stare at them while they're listening, and they're not going to get it. <laughs> I gave my son a Clash record when he was about 15, and it sat in the corner. It was a nice little box set of a couple of the CDs, and it just sat there in his room for a couple of years. And finally, I, I said, "Well, what the hell? I'm taking it back." And I did. And then about a year or two after that. He found a record and he came to me and he said, "Dad, do you know that Allen Ginsberg is on a Clash album? <laughs> you know, and all and from his poetry connection, he got into the Clash and and now when he plays with Jesse, he covers the Clash songs. You know, <laughs> he loves the Clash. Yeah,
1: we're going to talk about it, Ms. Gruen, Elizabeth Gruen, Bob's wife, and the thing is, Elizabeth started doing this artwork years ago and. Believe me, this is, not be- <laughs> this is not me being dumb. This is me being befuddled by trying to describe what this is and how she does it. I've gone to about five of Elizabeth's openings. I- I- I've never seen anyone else.
3: Most people who see her work say, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. And how does she do it? Right. And I sit there and I watch her do it and I don't know how she does it. And each one <laughs> takes, what,
1: m- Months. Weeks no. it
3: depends on the size. Yeah, it depends on the size. Okay, so let's she does her artwork. Like by the way, weeks she just to about six months. I, uh, she does her artwork under the, her own name, Elizabeth Gregory Gruen.
1: Elizabeth Gregory Gruen. Gregory, yes. Now, so what's you your? Find how how on
3: Instagram see? as Gregory Gruen. It's it's a series. When, do you, you have pepper. a website or you'd rather yeah. Instagram?
4: Yeah, yeah. What uh, Both. website?
3: The oh, do both. Do both. Gre- What's your website? Website Elizabeth Gregory Gruen. Gregor. <laughs> Elizabeth yeah. Gregory G R U E N. I think it's a dash between the Gregory and Gruen And on the Instagram, it's E L Z Gregory underscore Gregory Gruen, underscore Gruen.
1: I, I think you find it on Google.
3: You'll find it out. Yeah, just Google it. I really She puts up all the new work on Instagram. It's amazing. And my
1: favorite was I went to one of the openings, and she showed me one that she brought upstate because the Gruen spent some time in an upstate house, and she had a shotgun that she shot as part of the art through one of the pieces. Now, again, I'm not going to... You know, Elizabeth, you describe what you do. Yeah. (laughs) Why should I? Because I can't. I still can't. Well, it's a
4: series called Cutwork, and uh, it really started with uh, freehand... Cut paper and sort of done in an abstract.
1: Cut paper. Cut cut with what?
4: Well, we do, I use a surgeon's scalpel, and you start with the top layer. Okay, and you cut an image, but Two there's questions. no computers and guides.
1: You take a piece of paper. You're right. It's, you have a surgical. Is the scalpel it's always scalpel, the, same the same thickness?
4: Same that, it's just yeah. It's the same th- same scalpel they use on people. It's
1: How do you, sharp. What if you're in the middle of a line and it gets dull? It doesn't get dull. It doesn't. It's, yeah. super it's the sharp. same one they super use on strong. us. That's in like other it's words, like a when ginsu. I need some hard work, you can come over. <laughs> exactly, yeah. miss, Okay, so my calling, yeah. you, you, So you're doing it, and now how much does the paper vary?
4: I work in the two-ply museum board, so it's, it's, it's consistent, the thickness of the paper. Oh, okay. But to pull the lines, there's sort of a risk in it, because you do have to go into it with your mind clear and go from beginning to end. So each line is cut one stroke.
1: Do you start Jeez. and just go, or do you have the whole thing
4: I never make a plan. It's no expectations, only discovery. I only know about halfway through if it's worth anything. Wow. So you start with the top layer, and you add a double-sided adhesive, and you add another layer of paper, and you repeat the cut a little bit away so it creates sort of a stacked effect. And you continue with this process. Yeah, it's like a 3D. Right. And then as, you, as the pieces come out of this, you make a relief of stacked pieces at the same time. So when you finish the piece, the table's clear, and you know you've completed the...
1: Wait, wait what, what got you from zero to one with this?
4: I started with this in my early teens, and uh, started experimenting with it, and then I sort of segued in. Wait, wait, into
1: but you were at zero. I always like, it's, it's one to two is not that interesting. You're at zero.
4: <laughs> okay, both, both my mother and, grandpa, um, and grandmother were painters. Representational artists.
1: Okay, and then what? Well, one day, I'm I'm trying to find well, out the like thing, they were the brain synopsis yeah. that took you into. I think I'm going to pick up this sharp instrument and make <laughs> art.
4: Well, here's the thing, you know, um, they are both representational painters of oil, and I didn't really care for that, you know. And I was an only kid, so they're always like, mm, go "So do am something. I, you know? <laughs> go do something." That, no, there's all kinds it. of uh, supplies around and knives, things, and stuff because it was start a studio, and just, Lo and behold, I found the knife. <laughs> and I started playing <laughs> around with that's it. That's not a and knife. And started building it. And then uh, when it came time to figure out what I wanted to do, I was like, I have to go to New York. So I found a way there by going into fashion design. From where? From Chicago. Good town. And oh, Remember you came to yeah. see us a
1: couple of times in Chicago? Yeah, when we were at there, we saw a great club. Yeah, yeah. club. This is yeah. my we second favorite city. That's because a great It's a club. little
4: cold in the winter. Otherwise, a little. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> But uh, no, then I went. I uh, went into fashion for 25 years. But during that time, in about the year 2000, I started. I went back to the cut work. I started developing it more. And then in 2008, I started showing. And that's when Richard came. Did you go to art school? I went to Parsons. Mm-hmm. I went in 2008. I didn't go to like wow, 11 no art years
3: school.
2: ago. I went. I went mm. No, eight years ago. Crazy. That's it no, Wow. Yeah. Ten years I ago. I I wouldn't have. I'm too ADD to to do what I think that it takes to do what you do and I think you're 280. And you, you just started as
1: like a
3: hobby you were you know. For me my it. mom's hobby was photography so as a kid when I was four or five she His taught mom, me.
1: god bless her lived to 100. She, uh, 102. 102. 102.
3: Yeah. Um, she taught me how to she develop so and cool. f- print my own pictures when I was very little and then I became the family photographer and then the school yearbook and newspaper photographer and uh And then, uh, you know, after high school, I had actually uh, interest in going to college for photography, but my grades were so bad, I didn't think I'd go to any college. You had a public school in New York City? Uh, On Long Island, public school. Um, So I didn't even apply. uh, Rochester was the good photography school at the time, but it didn't even occur to me. Why? Because Kodak's up there? Yeah. Yeah, they were highly (laughs) subsidized by Kodak. (laughs) That's really funny. No, that's why they were the photography school. And... um, and so anyway, the idea after, uh, I went to Southern Illinois University for a year, which was pointless. The Salukis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know about them. How <laughs> funny. Jeez. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh.
2: You, you, do, you do
3: know Dick. What? Don't fuck with me, you Stoller one-dimensional Yankee fan. <laughs> the Salukis <laughs> were the mascot. That's yeah. a dog. That's an oh Egyptian dog. Uh, uh, Southern Illinois is called Little Egypt, and it's uh, and the Salukis are an Egyptian dog. Wow. But anyway, after a year out there, I came back, and the idea at that point was to turn on, tune in, and drop out and so i basically dropped out with a rock and roll band friends of mine had started a band i was started living with them and you know they were my friends i was taking pictures of them and when they needed a picture when they finally made a record they got a deal about three or four years later who this? was uh, this by that time they were called the glitter house and they had met Bob Crew, who was a world-famous f- uh, producer, and he liked them. Bob him. Crew, uh, who Bob wrote crew. half of the, of the Four, yeah, four he, he Seasons Yeah, he did the Four records. Seasons, yes. He, yeah, he, a he had a three-story wow. penthouse I used Bob to Crew out and in. Bob... Uh, I used to go visit him on, on uh, really? like 67th Street in Central Park. Uh, Gaudio. Bob Gaudio, Bob Gaudio and, Gaudio, and Bob yeah. Crew. But he, Bob had this three-story Gorgeous penthouse, you know, the kind where the elevator opens in your living room, you know, know, on the top of the building. Um, Anyway, we met him, and he, uh, he actually, the first thing he did with the Glitter House, they did the vocals for the Barbarella movie.
1: I remember that. Now,
3: you hear that song, Barbara? Oh, and, uh, that song turned me on oh, so much, that movie. That's, that, that's my high she school She was so friend. hot. Oh, she was so hot. We we were at the opening. We didn't know. He just did the music, and then all of a sudden, we we're watching her floating around naked. Jane, and Jane, Fonda, Jane Fonda's oh, my clothes God. are floating off, and my friend's voice is singing. The only singing. one who turned Amazing. me on
1: more than that was, what's her name? Um... Uh, in the Jagger movie, in the bathtub with the two girls smoking, oh. it. that <laughs> chick. Right, when I met her, I said, "Please don't be offended by what I'm going to tell you." But when I saw that movie, I was 14 years old, mm. and I be- you fueled my pubescent <laughs> fantasies. <laughs> you What's became a man. man she just time? died a couple of years Anita ago.
3: Pellenberg? Yes. Yeah. Anita. she was. Yeah. What was I mean?
1: her name? Like. Listen, there's no computers. There's playboys and his bathroom. boobs yeah. in a bathtub
3: right. I'm going home and I'm freaked out right Right. that's how you got it back then but anyway so the Glitter House got a deal and the record company used my pictures and they started to hire me for one or two other things I, I think my first job was Tommy James and the Shondells in 1968 they were opening for Hubert Humphrey in a Parking lot in Yonkers. That was my 1st hired by. Wait, he was a political. Uh, he. he oh, no, no. He was they managed were just, uh, by a fucking it, it Jewish a, you know, mobster. They, they get a band to um, play, you know, for the rally. Was What's the Jewish mobster that managed them. Uh, Mickey. No, the you know, guy. You know, the, uh, f- the, the guy from the Brooklyn. Um,
1: no, he ran um, r- roulette records.
3: Uh, Morris Levy. Morris Levy managed, oh, he managed them. them. Oh well, okay.
1: Who would you say? <laughs> Which
3: band? Uh, which the uh, Tommy James. Yeah. Tommy Most James and
1: Shondells, yeah.
3: Huh. Hey, well, anyway, I just met the band and it was uh... you... Are we okay? <laughs> How much time do we have? We're going to edit anyway, right? You're going to uh, cut things out and edit. Yes, yeah, you're going to edit. Okay. Don't um, say that. Edit that. <laughs> oh. let, let me get a couple edit of th- that. Yeah. Let me get a couple um, of things in
1: here. You got that John Prine song ready, my man? You are the man. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to tell the little story first. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. You're a little fast. I hope you're a little slower in the sack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I used to Would ask like this question. <laughs> One of my old radio shows, I used to ask this question. I, I said, The Ramones wow. wrote a song about, about glue. Let's sniff glue. I sniff glue. Yeah, I never uh, did that. I sniff glue in the playground. Where Richard Price wrote his first novel, the Ex- Richard Price is a great writer from my neighbor in the Bronx. The Ex- it was called the. Did Wanderers. you read his book? I read I read the Wanderer. That's the book. fifth book. Sixth, I told you, TJ English, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in the middle of one called uh, Havana Nocturne, my favorite subject, which is the when the mob ran Cuba. Oh yeah, we, we just came it. back
3: from Cuba. We really? A couple weeks ago, yeah.
1: Is that like the Godfather story or what? It's part. It's yeah. It's part of it. Yeah. It's interesting. Um. So, I asked this question, what, what was, that? was it before that though? Now you got me off, See, I get off on the side. I you have so many on. tangents. Mm. I'm fucking ADD, what do you want from I, me? I am too, so. They didn't have like this medicine for those days. And I, I got <laughs> yeah. to be 65, so now I just do Adderall? No, I Adderall? You're too old for the no, medicine. No, I don't need
3: Adderall, <laughs> I just
1: burrow through it. Okay, so I used to ask like, what's the best heroin song ever? Because I figured the Ramones are singing glue. Oh yeah, mm. so I did glue with the Executioners in the playground, we used to play like punch ball, stick ball, and the executioners hung out. there were with the Polish gang. And it was this girl, Margaret Peggy Casolini, And she was like, she was like, my filthy, stinking Jewish hands cannot touch this long blonde hair shiksa goddess. Mm. I cannot touch her because she is too perfect. She I wanted her so bad. She had a beat-up dungaree jacket, long straight blonde hair, gorgeous. And it was just so so like when I was near her, I was like, oh my God, like just, you know. I, anyway, that's not, that was taken from Robert Crumb saying something like that. That wasn't mm-hmm. me putting Jews down. So <laughs> anyway, we're hanging out with the executioners, and all of a sudden, maybe three times in my life, we got a bag of glue and we said, what does this mm-hmm. feel like? Okay, I got 18 billion less brain cells. And the Ramones write, fun. this is what makes the Ramones great. I'm gonna write a song about glue. I'm gonna yeah. write a song about <laughs> barbona. <laughs> So I think, but people wrote songs about heroin because heroin affected a lot of people's lives. There's right. probably hundreds of songs, but the five, four that come to my mind really quick is "King Heroin" by James Brown, "The Needle and the Damage Done" by God Neil Young, "Heroin" by Gods the Velvet Underground, and Chinese Rock mm. by well, mm. it was done by Johnny,
3: Johnny and and uh, Ramones. It depends on who you're talking to. Right. Who wrote (laughs) it, (laughs) Linda (laughs) just asked me last week.
1: So, um, and the thing was, Uh, I always said that heroin (laughs) was the best because Mm. it it felt like heroin. But I said, Mm. why is that the criteria for a good heroin song? And the blood begins to flow and it shoots up the drop of his neck. Why is that the best? Because it feels like it. I think Chinese rock is the best because it's like... Um, what's it's name? a celebration yeah but that's how you feel when you're yeah. on it with Johnny Thunders yeah it's I'm like, living on it yeah, yeah. I'm shits in there I don't give a fuck what's going on I just hack up my own life. I don't give a fuck I'm high on heroin yeah. so, then, so then people started sending me in song, song, songs song. song I just didn't have time to listen to them for some reason you know sometimes click you stop mm. for a second and I saw this guy John Prine and I knew the name but mm. I didn't know the music and He's after very... I found this song I called up my friend went no for many, many decades, and she goes, Richard, I saw John Prine in 1971 at the bottom line. He's an American treasure. Bob Dylan talked about some of his songs as being nobody else could write songs like this except John Prine. And I stopped and I listened to this song by John Prine called um, Sam Stone. Johnny Cash also does an amazing version of his amazing guitar player, country guitar player, but he doesn't say Jesus Christ or you know, Jesus in it. He says a different word. he won't say Jesus, but John Prime's version is this song, and if I can turn you on to um I know I know i'm a I'm from punk rock, I gotta play punk rock bullshit. I play what I fucking like. So I love this song because it's well written and it's just so powerful and then there's a song called "Hello in there," which is about how. Old people in America are cast aside and instead of being respected for their life experience they're just cast aside because they're now useless Mm -hmm. and if you watch that video and you don't cry you're fucking dead I I respect you uh, (laughs) (laughs) this is John (laughs) prine also John prine was up to go into the rock and roll hall of fame this year Um, I get a vote once they decide who is up Def Leppard was, Leopard was up, Devo, Janet Jackson, Kraftwerk, LL Cool J, MC5, Radiohead, Rage Against the Machine, Roxy Music, Rufus, Chaka Khan, Stevie Nicks, The Cure, The Zombies, Todd Rundgren. I have friends here. I don't talk about who I voted for. Um, I will say that I voted for John Prine.
2: How many do you get to vote for? How does that
1: work? You can vote for up to five, five. people. Out of and uh, Okay. And the MC5, you know, they're my boys. But I'm not going to talk about anyone else because I have friends here. I might have voted for some more. I might not have. Anyway, this is an amazing song about morphine addiction by the great John Prine. It's called Sam Stone.
5: Sam Stone. Oh His wife and family After serving in the conflict overseas And the time that he served that the bottom open all his man. nerves the bottom left line open up a little shrapnel in his knee But the morphine is the pain. Grass grew around his brain and gave him all the confidence he lacked. With a purple heart and a monkey on his back, there's a hole in Daddy's eye. I suppose Little pitchers have big ears Don't stop to count the years Sweet songs never last too long on broken radios mm-hmm. Sam Stone's Welcome Home Didn't last too long He went to work A hole in daddy's arm, where all the money goes. Jesus Christ died for nothing, that's a bowl. Little pictures have big ears, don't stop to count the years. The sweet, songs I'm gonna leave you with one of my favorite, favorite songs. was alone when he popped his last balloon, climbing walls while sitting in a chair. Well, he played his last request while the room smelled just like dead with an overdose of well, anything. I just know,
1: I just like that there fun. was nothing to be
5: done. But trade is how sad he bought on the GI Bill. Four flag draped casket on a local hero's hill. There's a hole in daddy's eye where all the money goes. Jesus Christ. Little pictures have big ears. Don't stop count the years. Sweet songs never last too long. Broken radios.
1: Yo, 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 what's up, boys and girls? Let me tell you something. You're listening to Handsome Dick Manitoba. And you don't know dick I'm not gonna wait to the very end of the show I'm gonna say this guy Ricky is my engineer this guy Ricky brought me around here see that rhymes that's why I'm a natural he brought me around here he's my engineer he's a great guy he's a guy I talk to a lot he's a guy who has helped me to believe in myself so that I can do this and what can I tell you man Ricky is uh, he's up For Ricky is up for rookie of the year as my new best friend for 2019. We are going to say goodnight to the amazing photographer and great friend, and what a cool guy! Really love hanging out with Bob Gruen. I told you, I'm gonna it's gonna be hard for me to get a word edgewise, (laughs) and that's really hard to believe. Bob Gruen and his lovely, beautiful, talented wife. Elizabeth, I want you to both
3: slowly and clearly tell the audience how to get a hold of you online. Well, I'm easy. I'm at BobGruen.com. G-R-U-E-N. Yeah, ncom And I do little stories there like I used to do for Roxine where every few months uh, I put up 20 or 30 pictures of where I've been and what I've done. And it's actually uh, one of the icons on the homepage called Bob's Roxine. And you can see where I've been and what I've done. I do have a Facebook page, but I use that mostly for announcements and uh, Instagram as well, uh, both under my name, Bob Gruen. And, uh, but I do post um, Day in, the l- in, in Rock History, every uh, kind of sporadically, uh, every 10, 12 days, maybe once a month. When we find something that happened on that day, uh, we post that, you know, uh, 40 years ago today, this happened kind of thing
1: and you will be posting wonderful live performances shows that you have about your photography yeah whenever i have a show i always
3: i always put the announcement you know the invitations to the openings and things like that and uh, when i have shows in other countries i put the pictures on my website uh, so that people can see you know what we've been doing and what we're up to and there's always more things coming up Um, i think i have a show coming in i'll be at the uh, london photo fair in the spring It's more Uh,
1: expensive than the Springsteen
3: show to get over there. Well, yeah, but I'm not paying for it. Uh, (laughs) uh, And I'm also going to have an exhibit in Toronto in June coming up. uh, Because we've been kind of busy the last... A couple months in Mesa, Arizona, I gave a talk, and then went to Cuba, and then went to, first we went to Seoul, Korea, and then to Cuba. Uh, The beginning of December, I was in Seoul for a week. There was a John Lennon exhibit, opened in a museum over there, Uh, the Hangaram Museum in Seoul, if anybody happens to get to Seoul. Um, And then we went down to Havana, Uh, there's a gallery called uh, Phototeca de Cuba in Havana that has an uh, an exhibit of all my rockers' photos, about 40 pictures down there right now. There's a rock and Uh, roll
1: scene in Havana.
3: Not a lot, but there is a club called Yellow Submarine uh, <laughs> where they play uh, basic classic rock and roll, and they have different bands every night. Uh, they, they invited me. I went to, to. I gave a little talk at the club. Uh, they have some really amazing classic seventies uh, and eighties uh, rock and roll videos, but it is the rock and roll place in Havana. And uh, apparently, there's bands there every night. But he said they come from all over Cuba, uh, which is a huge place. You know, people talk about Cuba as an island, but it's actually a thousand miles long. Just about. I mean, it's huge. Uh, So they do have a rock and roll scene, but um, it's mostly Latin music, the jazz. I mean, Cuba's famous for its jazz. Uh, And baseball. But nowadays, there are kids who who like the rock and roll. And also on my website, bobgrun.com, there's uh, links to email us and get in touch with us. If people want to buy a picture or license a picture or something like that, they can contact us.
1: One last thing I must say about you, Bob, when I opened up my bar. And I was going around to. F- oh, yeah, it a great exhibition. Many pictures ph-
3: ph- in your bar. <laughs> many photographers.
1: When I went over to Bob's um, studio, there were like 80 long metal drawers. Not the short <laughs> ones, like 80 long. Each one must have had a thousand pictures. He had, had, uh, he had to have 80,000 pictures. I got a lot. And I said, okay, okay, start picking <laughs> some pictures. How? So yeah. then I, I had to narrow it down to New York and London mm. punk, which is mm-hmm. from whence I come mostly. And. Um, we got
3: the picture of you in London, actually climbing the wall. The Fred <laughs> right. uh, well, we met, met Bob, met accidentally cl- in the middle of London. There, yeah,
1: climbed yeah. up a pole and you took a picture. But seventy-five percent of the pictures, it's you know, it's the Bob ruined walls basically, and um, it, it's amazing. So Bob is is always great to have back here. But what we're going to do is have a bunch of other guests as the weeks go by and we have an old audience that is easily forgetful, and as soon (laughs) as they forget everything you said and I said, we'll we'll bring you back. (laughs) I've got more (laughs) stories too,
3: so we'll talk about something different next time. (laughs)
1: Elizabeth, would you like to
3: give your Uh, nice and clear? Well, if you want
4: to check out uh, some of the cut work and uh, the story of my work, um, I have a website, ElizabethGregoryGruin.com, and that's with a Z. Uh, you can check it out there. Also, I have an Instagram where I post uh, new works that I'm trying out, and uh, there's some of the older works, but it tells a bit of a story on its own. And that's at ELZ Gregory underscore Gruen on Instagram. So take a look.
1: She's saying Z e- instead of S as right. Elizabeth.
3: Yeah, so, yeah, in so in case was that was... Elizabeth's. I was a little confused when I said, let me straighten Z? that out. Yeah, some people spell it's, it's Elizabeth. It's a problem with, with
4: the names. It's, you got to put that. In. My middle name is exhibit, also Elizabeth, and,
3: and with so a I, Z. Yeah. And, and Elizabeth has that's a, a, absolutely
1: fucking amazing.
2: That, <laughs> is it, That's the best part <laughs> of this podcast so far. What I just said, I think. <laughs> <Yeah. And laughs> Elizabeth has a big exhibit
3: coming up in the spring. Yeah. In March. Details the, to follow. Details on the If it's Instagram. not a Tuesday
1: night, I'll be there downtown at that same place.
4: Yeah. No, it's a different no, place. Or no. Or Canal Street. No, it's just a different place and uh, details will follow i'll have it posted on my instagram don't
1: and forget you posted tuesday the 29th my birthday, birthday at jesse's party. place got it on my calendar okay good because i'm it's hard i wish i had some kid telling me how i can send out like 500 invites uh, every time i get to like like i'll do a a a
3: a right no you have to pay for it on uh, mailchimp
2: yeah i was gonna say mailchimp
3: it's whatever i was gonna business.
1: call it spank the monkey how though? much does yeah. it cost
3: it, uh, t- more than you want to pay, but not too much. I don't want. To do that. I
1: I, I get, I'm spending this, that, this, that.
3: But that way, it's, but, but with Mailchimp, everybody gets their own email. It's not personal. There's no chance yeah. of a blind copying.
1: No, but but how about text text messages?
3: Oh, you can do All that, right. but yeah, it takes forever. But as I'm saying, I do like you go A a, right? a A
1: A, and then you know A pops up. Okay, A pops up. So you get like six A's, and then the seventh one, it's
3: a Z. It just goes to a Z, but oh. like. I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know. Doing it one at a time, that would take forever. Sounds like work. Yeah, sounds like work. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Elizabeth will have her notices up. Yes, we'll uh, keep it posted. And thank you. Thank you both well, thank you. very
1: much for coming here. Well, we're glad Bob and Elizabeth Gruen, we love you, baby. <laughs> or should I say we love you babies? Well,
3: it's a mutual admiration society here. <laughs> thank you. Sure. Thank you.
1: I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite, favorite songs ever. <laughs>
0: so dry